Anytime I can do anything where I'm, I'm around other people, especially creative people, it's a great day for me. Sure thing. So uh, I'd like to tell folks, I grew up in a village. Um, and when I say in a village, um, I, most of the time people, it takes them to this far off destination, exotic place. But the village that I grew up in is in a Ewing Township, not far from the Ryder University campus, actually in between Ryder and the College of New Jersey. And um, the strip of houses that I grew up in, and um, literally two doors from where I grew up, as the youngest of seven children, lived my great aunt on my maternal side. And next door to her lived my maternal grandparents. And uh, my mother is one of 13. So at any given time, there were dozens of people around, whether they were friends, family, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews, etc. Um, so at a very young age, I learned about the pecking order and what the pecking order means uh, in a very positive way. My grandfather, Jimmy, also known as James, or vice versa, was a union shop steward for General Motors and Fisher Body here in Ewing Township. So you can just imagine growing up in a household where he's got 13 children, um, boys and girls, and he's got dozens of grandchildren. He ruled his, his kingdom like a king. And it was fantastic um, because, you know, he was, he was an amazing provider. Um, but that was something that I learned, uh, you know, at a young age. I just thought everyone grew up that way. And then... Um, as I went to school, I found out that a couple of my other friends had grew up in similar situations. And then after going to college, I realized that not everybody did grow up in that kind of environment. I mean, I was in a very inclusive environment. I was taught at a young age, hey, don't judge people by the way that they look. Judge it by their character or how they treat you, so to speak. So I took that to heart. Um, and uh, lo and behold, I don't know, 30 years later or so, I get this opportunity and access for radio and television and community organizing. And this, this is something that I realized, that this is who I am. You know, I'm a very inclusive dude. I'm a, I, I thrive on being in a, a team environment, et cetera. And it's important, I believe, for us to start recognizing that as community. Uh, during the break, we were talking about a couple of things, and I wanted to bring up one of the points. Um, you know, you had mentioned that how difficult it is to do things by yourself. And sometimes it is. And uh, I think being by yourself or trying to do things by yourself is almost putting your, yourself into a, a situation of hell, of isolation. When there's no one around you, whether that's for support, for encouragement, um, like iron sharpening iron. If you don't have those things, I think that you that you're just kind of floating amiss. So... Um,
Yeah, I think that you're pretty close, and you've touched on a couple of things. Um, and uh, civic engagement radio, um, hashtag civic engagement radio, is what is one of the marketing tools that I, that I use. And civic engagement is just the process of knowing what the rules are of society, teaching them and developing them to the extent where it's benefiting the people in the community. Um, there's a lot of talk right now, um, politics, national politics, and um, you know what's going on in other places of the, of the world where a lot of people who are leaders, um, they've got a lot of scrutiny on them now. And that is a job, and, 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 and I apologize, let me back up. So if you imagine a pyramid, um, we've gotten to a point where leaders believe that they are at the top of that pyramid and all the decisions and choices that they make are what everyone should do. That's technically not how democracy is supposed to work. If you're a servant leader, which you're supposed to be, you're supposed to do what the people want you to do. And I think that we've gotten away from that. Um, and I think we've gotten away from it on the national level, countrywide, but also on the local level. Um, when, you, when you consider some of the communities that have challenged areas and you have groups of people who are saying, hey, well, how come we can't fix this? And um, there's no money, there's no people, but they want raises. <laughs> so so it, it's, to me, it's pretty simple. You know, if, if you listen to the people who are the ones who, who are moving this train forward, if they're doing that, then it holds the politicians and the people who are in leadership in line, whether it's a CEO of a corporation, whether it's, you know, children holding parents accountable for what they should be doing, et cetera. All those things are what make up civic engagement. Um, if your house is in disarray, and you've got a bunch of houses on the block that are in disarray. Now you've got a neighborhood. And you've got a string of neighborhoods that are in disarray. Now you've got a whole community, et cetera. And, and that's the whole impetus behind what I'm, what I'm trying to do. And I'm not saying that I've got all the answers. I'm just saying that, that the model that we've been following for so long, I'm not sure if it's in its current state it's working the right way. And from my experiences in Trenton, New Jersey, where I live and where I'm a part of a local civic association where I've served on several nonprofit organizations, I worship in the city, I live in the city, et cetera, I think that we need to have more people who are involved in the process of building a better community. And this final thing I'll throw out there, statistically, you, you take a city like Trenton, it's less than 80,000 people, it's less than 7.5 square miles. We've got a, a population that if you consider all brown-skinned people, African-Americans, Latino, Hispanics, et cetera, it makes up over 60% of the population. Well, are the wants, the needs, and the desires of those people cor cor correct? And if they're not, then what does that tell you? That tells you that there's a small group of people who are making decisions for larger people. And then the systemic issue with that is, is after a while, people become disenfranchised. And then you have groups of people who say, well, you know what? I'm going to decide my own laws, my own rules, and do whatever I want. And, and I think that that's one of the biggest problems that we have here. And it's not only here. I mean, it's, it's um, typical post-industrial cities like Trenton where manufacturing base is going out um, through um, transient um, people who live there. They've moved out. Uh, it's become a haven for all kinds of different activities. That it, we have plenty of examples that are national, 
it's time for, for people to start saying, okay, what are we going to do differently so that this doesn't perpetuate? Yeah, I, I believe that, um, I don't think that there's any need to really reinvent. Oh, yeah, I, I just don't think that that's necessary. I, I think that simple, low-hanging fruit, or actually, I think we're to, at the point now where fruit is on the ground and it's just rotting. You know, when I say low-hanging fruit, and again, this is all really focused on the community where I live, which is in Trenton, New Jersey. But this is something that can be built out. And, and in my travels, I connect with other people who feel the same way that I do. So I believe that most people really want shelter, housing. They want love. They want to be around other people who love them. They want to take care of their families. And they want to have some money. Decent money. And of course, and of course, yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and if you have, um, you know, just, if you have health, et cetera, then I think things work fine. And I think for a majority of the people, they figure out, okay, what can I do to meet those needs? Um, Low-hanging fruit, a simple example is, in the city of Trenton, we have one library that is serving a population of over 80,000 people, or approximately 80,000 people. If you were to speak to anyone, they would say that that is ridiculous. Well, how can you then expect children who are in school to learn about the library when there's only one library, basically? So that's a need. That's a need. That's something that needs to be identified. Um, which was partially behind the impetus of not only what I'm doing with Library Boxes of Trenton, but also what other people are doing as far as literacy efforts. Getting the books and periodicals and magazines into the hands of people for little or no cost. Um, again, hashtag LBOT, LBOT, or Library Boxes of Trenton on Facebook. You can find out more about the initiative. But a project like that, that kind of came together because the city had discarded uh, newspaper boxes on the street and, and I asked them, I collected them um, a lot of my artist friends I got together to uh, paint them and got a grant funding from an organization Prometheus Publishing where I was able to pay the artists to now have these public library boxes now someone will, will say okay you've got a city of about 80,000 um, and you've got 15 of these library boxes scattered throughout and you're giving away books for free okay, that's cute but what is the real value of that? Well, in my mind, I'm not thinking that I'm going to open up all of the library branches in the city of Trenton. I just don't have that capacity. I don't think the city has that capacity. But what I do have the capacity to do is be ingenious and come up with these creative ways to give people opportunities to change their mindset. Now, some people will, will say, well, how do you have proof of that? Well, because the boxes, when I see them or when I post them, We've distributed thousands of books. And Champs, um, a local watering hole, 931 Chamber Street, which is a drop-off location, they've, get, they've got people bringing books and magazines there all the time, and they're leaving. Now, I can't tell you for sure that every one of those books and periodicals and magazines are being read by someone, but it is making a bit of a difference. So I think low-hanging fruit, simple things like that are, are small things that we can all do.
I'm doing fantastic. And again, publicly, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to uh, share a little bit about who I am and uh, some of the things that I'm doing. I don't know. How many people have you had here? <laughs> All right. All right, so I'll, I will take that as a compliment. Thank you very much. I just didn't want, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't one of those things where I was the only one here and I was being compared against myself. Well, you know, I, I, while, while you're thinking about it, I, I got to jump in here. You know, um, there's two songs that were just played were by Sting. Um, the first one was Englishman in New York, and uh, the second one was We'll Be Together. Um, I'm a romantic at heart. Like, I, like the whole idea and the concept of romance to me is, is special, like developing that relationship and all those things. And for whatever reason, um, when this song first came out, We'll Be Together, that embodied that for me wherever I was at the time and whatever it was I, I don't know if it was the video back when MTV played videos or whatever but but that that song like embodied that for me for whatever reason and Englishman in New York um, I, I love the city I love the city as a whole um, and uh, there's a, a, a line in there that says it takes a man to suffer ignorance and smile be yourself no matter what you what they say and i remember hearing that and listening to that over and over and over again which is you know what what you do when you find something that you appreciate and it just stuck and it was exactly again one of those moments it was exactly what i needed to hear and it just hit spot on so that's my commentary on those two tracks englishman in new york and we'll be together by sting i'm a romantic and we'll be together kind of embodies that. And uh, Englishman in New York, um, it was just a cool song, especially with the, uh, the jazz of Wynton Marsalis and the band um, about three quarters of the way through. I really dig that. Well, <clears throat> This time of the year for me here on the East Coast has always been amazing. Um, the transition from the summer months to uh, the fall, everything that happens there, back to school, the, the way that nature magnificently automatically changes the temperature at night when school starts, all those wonderful things that happen. Um, to me, it's always been about a new birth or a rebirth of some sort. So I love this time of the year. And uh, when you told me about the Season of Me project, that's where I went to mentally. I went to this time of the year, you know, being able to, um, the warm days 
the cool nights, the crispness in the air, the change in, in the harvest menus, all those different things. It just, it just hit me, like season of me project. Right now it is the season of me. This is my time of year. This is the transition. And the whole idea and the concept of season of me, it just means so much because I think that, I'm not going to say that people don't focus on themselves, but I think that there's a difference between being me-centric and self-centered, or, or, or what's that threshold behind, I know who I am as a person, I know what I want to do, I know where I'm going, and I'm trying to make that happen. And at the same time, being able to share that with other people and put it out there. So to me, um, the whole idea of season of me, I mean, you had mentioned a, a couple of subjects. Um, one of the ones was you were asking about get a new style. And as you transition from the, the summer into the fall, what better time to start busting out some new clothes, new colors? I mean, back to school shopping is a, is a you know multi-billion dollar marketplace here in the United States. But if people were to, to take that conceptually and say, okay, how can I get a new style? And uh, I think for men, I think it would be awesome, you know, for guys to consider just a, a, a different color jacket or a vest, like a puffer vest that you would never wear normally. But why not get a radical, like, orange one or, you know, a, a camouflage, like, blue and green one, whatever. And women, same thing. Handbag, pair of heels, new shoes, whatever. Just switch things up and um, do that intentionally as a way to, to accentuate this style and this changing of season. Nice. Nice. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if, if you had looked this up when you were doing some research on me or even if I haven't mentioned it before, but I've got a background in fashion. Um, I've worked in the industry for well over two decades and worked with some amazing, amazing players and organizations, The Gap, The Limited, um, Ralph Lauren, Jones, New York, Lord & Taylor. Um, so I've, I'm very passionate about clothing and the industry. 
And um, in the 90s, when I was really cutting my teeth in the garment industry, it was a true marketplace. It was a marketplace here in the United States for designers and seamstress and pattern makers and graders and digitizers and, and manufacturers here in the country. And um, some political things took place and manufacturing left the country. But it's exciting for me that now it seems to be coming back again. And um, one of the, the things that I'm pushing for is to have this region be recognized more for the style that we have here. Um, New Jersey is the most densely populated state. It's the most culturally diverse state. So, so, and we're in between Philadelphia and New York as major cities and plus the mountains and the shore. So we are the ideal location. So what I've been doing for the last, um, you know, couple of decades or so is, is trying to formulate my own version of what fashion looks like. <clears throat> and excuse me. And I've got some amazing designers who I've done some work with recently, um, Nako and Martin and, uh, of Inokin Fitness, and uh, Ray Vincent, who I've known since I was a, a young man and modeled in some of his shows, and working with them in a way to, how do we reinvent what fashion is here? Um, there's plenty of people who are stylish in their own version of style, and I think that that's important for us to recognize that, hey, your style is your style. So therefore, if your style means, hey, I'm rocking black head to toe all the time, then rock that. I know my friend Des Flykicks, that's what she does. She's a black on black on black, that's what she rocks. But then there's other people who can go from different genres and things, and that's all part of it as well. So we should be able to uh, recognize our differences and um, consider how we can maximize them and let's design a new marketplace. And if you guys are interested in, in a way that we can do that, hit me up. Trenton365show at gmail.com. I'd love to, to chat with you about what you're doing fashion-wise, style-wise, and um, how we can do some different things to build that, build a better community even in the art scene of fashion. I love I love being with young people. It's, it's so organic and it's just hey happening. So on the list that you gave me, one of the, one of the subjects you gave or posted was um, take up a new social hobby. And um, so a new so social hobby, like in my mind, um, you know, I, I I'm a foodie. Like I, I love food. I love drinks, um, etc. Um, a few years ago, I started brewing my own beer. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I found the process to be um, not difficult at all, actually, but an awesome opportunity to, to try out different things and, and to learn science, hands-on science, in a way. I mean, because all beer is is water, yeast, and hops, basically. And, um, and, and with those elements and then the proper storing facility, you can have your own beer in three weeks or so. So I took that up, and um, as I, I was developing, you know, my interest in it, because I always liked to drink beer, from stealing uh, bottles from my grandfather's basement, little, little Schaefer nip bottles, <laughs> to, you know, um, to college and all this stuff. Yeah, that's a nugget. <clears throat> yeah, my, my family, when they hear this, they'll crack up about that.
But um, yeah, so Mark Likington and uh, Joe Bear, um, who are two members of Princeton Homebrew, which is a uh, a group of home brewers who get together and they they make beer and they talk about beer and all these different things. And Joe's got a retail store on Twenty Nine in Trenton, uh, right along the river, uh, called Princeton Homebrew. It's also known as Solar Solar Brew or Solar Homebrew. And um, so picking up a hobby of doing that is something that, that doesn't cost a lot of money, um, especially if you go with some of the more commercial kits. But it gives you an opportunity to do some stuff in your house. And for those of you who enjoy drinking beer, it's nice to say that, hey, I made this beer. Um, so that might be one of the things that I would suggest people to give, a, give some thought to, like a hobby that they might want to pick up. And um, food. Food and, and yeah, it, it besides, it, besides it being a necessity, I mean, it pairs so nicely. Um, if, you, if you start to learn different recipes and techniques for cooking, and then if you can imagine having a dinner party where you have your beer that you made and a recipe that you made and you partner and pair them together and you share that with your guests, um, I always tell people, man, I, I enjoy having conversations over food and drinks. To me, it's like... Um, the last supper to an extent with air quotes, but it's just it's just nice to be able to sit and chat with people and have some food and drinks and satisfy your, your belly and your soul. But I want to give a shout out to uh, Lara Hope and the Arctones um, who were going to be in the Trenton region. Uh, I met Lara uh, a couple of years ago when she was performing at Mill Hill and had a chance to sit down with her in a band and um, interview her. And I've uh, been following the things that she's doing. She's doing some amazing things um, in the industry, uh, performing all over Kingston, New York, um, New York City, New Jersey, Philadelphia. Um, she's been out um, down south and, and covering the rest of the country as well. So shout out to Lara Hope and uh, the Arctones, who will be performing at John and Peter's in a couple of weeks, October 18th, and then she'll also be performing at uh, Artworks Trenton's annual event, the Monsters Ball. So I was fortunate enough to uh, coordinate her coming into town with uh, Anna Davenport, who handles uh, the booking for Artworks. So shout out to uh, Lara Hope. And um, yeah, for, for those of you in the listening and viewing audience, if you uh, have some interest in doing some cool things in this region, hit me up, send me an email, um, J-A-C-Q-U-E, last name Howard, and uh, Trenton365show at gmail.com. There's a bunch of uh, Facebook things I'm affiliated with as well, but I'm always looking to partner with people, organizations, businesses, individuals who want to build a better community for everyone. If you're an inclusive person, um, you've got to focus on art, making a better community, hit me up. Sure. Um, the website is Trenton, the numbers, 365.com, Trenton365.com. There's also a, uh, you can hear me over WIMG 1300 and also over WWFM Jazz on 2. Um, Regis, R-E-J-S, jazz.com is another partnership that I have. Um, Trenton 365 Show on Facebook, uh, Trenton Business Casual on Facebook, and you can always post and view all these really cool events happening in the region on the Trenton 365 Community Calendar Facebook page as well.